Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. You guys had practices that already this morning. That was actually sad. Happy Thanksgiving. Yay. Good morning. My pleasure to be here and speaking and going along with the series we're doing in Acts 2, looking at the early church and what that looked like. Um, I'm going to just start off and pray, and then we'll crack on with it. God, we thank you, and we praise you that we get to gather together and worship you and learn about you. Just pray now that by your spirit, would you speak through me, and would you soften hearts to hear the message you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amazing. Um, Well, so far we've rethought about what um, church looks like. Rick's been going through for the past four weeks, rethinking church, looking at what community actually looks like and breaking bread. And today we're going to continue on in that um, um, bread of thought and look at what um, generosity is. Um, So I want you to turn to your neighbor and um, tell them the last time you did something generous or something was generously done to you. Go. You have a minute, so be quick. Go. Well done. You can tell I have a background in youth work if I'm making it interactive and making you talk to one another. We'll do that a couple more times. Amazing. My answer would be I sent somebody a present when it wasn't their birthday. I know. So kind of me. Um, But we're going to read in Acts 2 how um, the Bible actually challenges that concept of generosity. So if you want to whip out a Bible, we're on page 832. Um, And turn to Acts 2.42 with me, which you'll be familiar with as Rick has looked at this um, the past four weeks. So I'll give you a second. And just a second, I'm going to just continue to read. It's on page 832. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, from my understanding, this um, passage explains generosity slightly differently than my example of sending somebody a present when it wasn't their birthday. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. It's not quite the same, is it? (laughs) And not really what we're doing as a congregation. I think if you came home tomorrow night and found me sitting in your living room uh, in your comfy clothes, um, drinking a glass of wine from your cupboard and watching your television, and I said, welcome home, you'd be a bit confused. (laughs) We don't share our possessions commonly. Um... I mean, you might actually, some of you have probably actually found me in your homes using all your stuff, but never mind. You might say, this is just another denomination of the church. This is just another way to do it. Surely these people um, were just a bit delusional. They were just filled with a spirit. They're a bit crazy, so they just started throwing their stuff in a pile and said, let's share. Um, But I'm going to suggest that we need to give this initial church a bit of merit and um, try to look at why they were doing this. Um, Who of us walked alongside Jesus? No. Who of us watched him perform miracles? No. No. You can probably see where I'm going with this. Who of us saw him on the cross and died? Who of us saw him come back to earth? And who of us saw him ascend again? And we didn't. And not to say those things haven't impacted us, but the people in this initial church got to walk alongside Jesus as he did his miracles, his teachings, and everything. Um... 
You know, this is what they thought was an accurate response to Jesus' ministry, to the gospel. After seeing him teach and do his ministry and do all these amazing things, they saw him die on the cross and saw him rise again. And then they were filled with the spirit on the day of Pentecost. They said, well, sure, this is how, we're, this is how church should be. We should be generous and give abundantly for the sake of others. And the disciples, they weren't always like this. We know the disciples well, and they, they weren't always the most bright fellows, so to speak. They're average shows, really. Some of them, you know, they wouldn't have been the CEOs of companies. They wouldn't have been um, all that clever. <laughs> My favorite is when Jesus is trying to teach something, and he, like, says a parable, like, oh, here's an illustration. You'll understand. And they're like, mm, no. And he has to say it in an, another parable, and they're like, hmm. No, one more time. And he tells another one. Anyways, I digress. They weren't that clever. I'm going to put my Bible on the floor. There we go. Um, yeah, so they were just pretty average Joes. They didn't conduct their lives in a way like they did in the early church before. So what changed? What jaw-dropping thing did they learn um, that made them change their lifestyle? Why would, they be, why would they go from being quite self-sufficient, earning money, sustaining themselves, to actually throwing everything in a pot and abundantly being generous is all they had to other people. Something Jesus did, said, or exposed changed something within them. And my prayer this morning is that he does the same for us. Great, you're going to turn to your neighbor again. I know you're just waiting to chat. Um, And you're going to tell them how many times in a day you think about Jesus. Go. This one's going to be really quick. Go. On average. It can be none. It's okay. I don't have the pews bugged with microphones. Great. Now, you're going to turn to your neighbor and tell them how many, in, on average, in a day that you think about eternity. Go. <laughs> awesome. I'm going to presume, I'm not going to go around and take a poll, but I'm going to presume that your answer about Jesus was probably a bit more than the amount of times you think about eternity. Is that, can I get some... Or am I wrong? Do we think about eternity all the time? No. That's right. There's no nods over there. This is our holy side of the room, thinking about eternity all the time. I guess so, it does. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's an important, I'm going to suggest it's an important thing to think about, and think about Jesus coupled with the idea of eternity, and I think we need to do that a bit more, and I'm going to tell you why. He taught about eternity all the time. It's really what the gospel is about. The center of our faith is based around this beauty of eternity with our creator. It's a source of our hope. Yes, and it's amazing that he forgave my sins. It's mind-blowing that he loves me how I am today. And it's incredible that he guides me and hears my prayers and answers my prayers. But all of this leads to a life with him after we've journeyed through all these struggles on earth. Friends, Jesus came so that we would know our home is in heaven. That our lives don't end here that we are part of something far grander, that this life is a holding place before we find our joy and our place in heaven beside him. And we all know that verse in John 3, 16, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his son so that whoever believes in him won't die, but they'll have eternal life. And what comes after is also quite a good verse and gets overlooked sometimes, John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He came so that we wouldn't only know how to survive life here, but to strive well for the one afterwards. He came so that we'd know our home is heaven, 
and that in the meantime, we'd walk as closely we can to him, cling on to him, and bring as many people as we can with us. And Jesus taught that his disciples this all the time, both through teaching and through action. You see Jesus trying to communicate, like I said before, this idea in parable, this, the idea of the kingdom of God. What does that look like? And they sometimes struggle to understand it. That's because it's so different than what we have here on earth. God's kingdom is where he rules and where he is in charge. Where order is present and sin has no place. Where tears and pain are no longer. And we are free from every burden and every hurt um, we've ever carried. Jesus says that's our home. And we need to act like we live there. And I'd say Jesus is a pretty reliable source. He's been in heaven, and he's been on earth, and he comes to heaven, and he says, guys, focus on the kingdom. I've been there, and I know this stuff is great. I know earning money is great. I know status is great, but guys, I've been to heaven, and it's so much better. He says, forget about your stuff. Even to the first disciples, he calls, he says, like, drop your nets. Drop what gives you money and income and your well-being. Drop that. Let that go and come and follow me. For I know something far greater, not I, Jesus speaking, um, than you can ever imagine. And your inherit, it's your inheritance as my followers. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Well, well almost yours. Um, let that sink in for a second. The kingdom of heaven is ours. And we're just waiting in this long queue to get there. And that's why the disciples are living this way. They're not just crazy. Well, they might be probably slightly crazy. I think I would be too if I got to hang out with Jesus and see all those miracles. It's slightly crazy. Um, but they're responding to the gospel. They've come to realize how blessed they are by God and that the stuff they have is irrelevant to their joy and their salvation. They say, like, yeah, heck, let's just throw everything. Let's throw it in the middle. Let's all share it. You know, Peter, yes, you can borrow John's cardigan. That's fine. You know, yes, let's sell our house so that we can give that guy we met, Alfred, money for that medicine he needs for his daughter. Yes, of course we're going to do that. Of course we're going to share our meals um, because we have enough food. And whether we have, you know, the newest iPhone or the shiniest car or the biggest house or none of these things, our salvation is secured through Christ. So we're waiting in this long queue to get to heaven. Why not bless and love and serve and give as generally as or generously, there we go, as humanly possible? Wouldn't that please God? Wouldn't he love to look down look down? I don't actually know where he is. Look at us. <laughs> Maybe not look down, but look at us and see us just taking care of all of his children, our brothers and sisters. Isn't that just a beautiful concept of worship? It's one way we can pursue Christ in everyday actions, just loving other people. We're going to take a look at Mark 12, 28. So if you could find that, the race, whoever finds it first, shout out the page number, please. (laughs) You'll probably find it before me. Seven, seven, three. We'll get a prize to the second row, please. Just kidding. There's no prize. Sorry. Seven, seven, three. Great. Set the scene. This is Jesus talking to a rich guy who wants to know, how can I secure my eternity, please? One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. 
the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Simple, isn't it? Love God, love other people. There's no commandment greater than these. Jesus puts these things at the top of the list. Show God that you love him. Pray, read, go to church, sing, whatever you can do to show God that you love him. And then love your neighbors, for they are also God's creation. Now, how does this eternal perspective I was talking about earlier affect this verse in Mark? Well, thank you for asking. Um, When our eyes are set on our future with Christ, we can't but worship God. We can't but acknowledge who he is. We can't but praise him and read his word and serve. It's a natural reaction to the gospel. We start to recognize his presence in our life. Throughout the mundane earthly tasks we face, we begin to be able to recognize the small and the big blessings in our lives that we are entirely thanks to God. And that's what we do this weekend, isn't it? We start to recount and think on our lives and think, thank you, God, for all these things. That's what Thanksgiving is about, looking back and giving God praise for what he's done. And through that acknowledgement of who God is, we begin to be able to love others in a way that's a bit different um, than to those who don't know Christ. We're able to love others in a way that reflects how God loves us. And when we recognize that our homes are in heaven with him, and we realize how blessed we are here on earth, and that we have him on our side, loving others becomes much more simple and much more essential. I think this is why the early church did what they did. To take what they had and give it to those in need, because their treasures were in heaven, and they're in close relationship with their heavenly father. And they knew he would provide what they needed. You know, they wouldn't be able to walk past, say, a guy called Sam on the corner, hungry and need of food, because they saw him not as Sam on the corner who was hungry and needed food, but a son of God, a child of God, and their brother in Christ. And this is a great way to evangelize. I've come to realize this. This is a great way to evangelize and tell people about Jesus. For those of you who don't really like to verbally tell people about Jesus, this is the method for you. (laughs) Actions do speak quite loudly, and sometimes louder than words. Um... And if I generously and abundantly give to others in order to see them blessed and happy and joyful, they're going to wonder what, what, why I'm doing that. Similar to how I initially reacted to reading Acts too. Why are these guys doing this? What, what's making them act this way? And when we act like that, other people are going to start asking the same question. What do they know that I don't know? Why are they, why are they loving me like this? We live in a world that says our identity is rooted in how much we can earn, what we're able to do, other people's thoughts on us. But those are earthly standards that when Jesus comes back, they're going to be obliterated. But for now, we're swimming against that current. Now, if we turn and swim with it and start to identify with that, I am sure in a couple years we'll all sit there and have a bit of an identity crisis wondering what are we living for, how do we get here? Like I said earlier, Jesus came so that we would know we don't have to live by those standards of the world. There's a really big majority of the world that still thinks that their worth rests in what they have and what other people think they are. But when we live generously giving to those in need, it not only honors God, but demonstrates to them that there's something bigger happening. There's an eternity waiting for them. We've got to love those around us for better or for worse, whether we want to or not, whether we have a lot or a little to give. God says, let's bless those around us with whatever we have, and he'll bless what you bring. 
whether it's little or big, God will bless that and use that. When we truly and earnestly believe that, being generous will come as second nature, an immediate response to the gospel. You know, let's swim upstream against the strong current of consumerism and weariness and confusion and doubt because there's so, 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 so many people out there with needs. And there's so, 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 so many people out there that don't know about God's love and faithfulness to us. So we can be a demonstration, an example of God's faithfulness, love, and promise of eternity to those around us. Um, Like Doug said, I'll tell a story, and then I'll come into close. So we're almost there. Um, Like Doug said earlier, I was living in London, and um, I worked at a church that was, they call it a high road, so just like the main street where all the shops are. And on the high road um, was a man called Robert. He was homeless, and he sat there. And I walked past him a bunch of times and put my head down and (laughs) walked past to get to work until um, once I was walking with my friend, and we did an outreach thing at my church where we'd bring around in the winter hot chocolate to anyone who would take it really so when I was with her she's like let's go talk to her I was like yeah let's yeah now I can do it I'm with somebody else let's go and we went and chatted with him and we began to develop a relationship with him like we'd see him all the time I knew why he was on the streets we'd give him food we'd try and chat with him he'd let us pray for him we chatted with him but had I not gone with my friend Lydia to chat with him would never have experienced this relationship that I'm sure blessed him immensely and turned around and blessed me immensely as well so that's Robert. There's another man on the high road, and I don't know his name, and I walked past him. We, I worked at two different buildings, and I'd have to walk from A to B quite often. So there I'd go, rushing off to work to finish it. I'd walk past the same homeless man every day for two years, and I didn't stop and talk to him, not once. He was tall, he was intimidating, and he scared me, and so I didn't stop. And I don't know, I was just reminded of that story and that juxtaposition, that difference of my, you know, being encouraged by someone else to develop a relationship with Robert, who was great, um, who was a good guy, who just got dealt a bad hand, and we were able to bless him. But I can't but regret, I know God will bless him and put other people in his life to take care of him, but this other guy, who I can't even name, that sat there, I had the opportunity, uh, maybe I didn't have a lot of money to give him, I did have time, (laughs) I could have stopped and offered to pray for him. I could have stopped and offered to take him to our church cafe that had lunch. I could have done a lot of things, but I didn't because I was on my way to work. I had things to do. He was kind of scary. <laughs> but these things shouldn't stand in the way of us. God's equipped me and given me strength to bless other people. And when I'm wrapped up in my own world, without sight of eternity, without sight that there's something bigger going on than that work meeting I need to get to, if I'm not focusing on that, I'm focusing on this. And that's not much of a blessing to other people. Just to close, friends, we are part of a massive narrative here, an eternal narrative. You are or you can be in relationship with a God who came to earth so that we might know we can have eternal life with him, who bore the burden of all our sin was killed on a cross to come back and say, you can't kill me, I'm going back to heaven with my dad. And you can come too if you want, um, for no cost. But And church, I would give anything for everyone I know to believe that to be true, to take that into their own heart and understand that gospel and see how it changes their life. And this is just one way we can start responding to that beautiful gospel and communicate it to other people. 
to show other people that we're living for something far greater than what's in front of us. We can start to bless anyone around us with these incredible things that we have, whether it be stuff or time or prayer. We've all got something to give. <laughs> for our salvation is not found in our earthly things, but through Christ our King. So we, we wait here on earth, waiting to get home, waiting to get into heaven with God. May we abundantly love and generously give to those around us. That's my prayer today. Shall we pray? God, we thank you and we praise you for all the things we have, for all the things you've done in our life, for your son dying on the cross for us so that we might know that we are saved and loved and cherished by you. And God, we say we're sorry. We say we're sorry when we get so wrapped up in our own lives, when we focus on the things in front of us and not on the things you've called us to. God, we're sorry. But we ask for your strength and your help now to equip us, to equip us and give us strength to be a blessing to those around us. God, to be your people, to be your hands and your feet on the streets of Winnipeg, here downtown in the West End, wherever we find ourselves, God, would we be a blessing? Would we generously give and generously love those around us so that your kingdom might further so that your love might just consume Winnipeg. God, that's our hope and our prayer, that we see everyone come to know you. God, would you use us as instruments to do that? God, give us practical ways this week to, to respond to this message, to be generous, to have it be a lifestyle, and not just a random act of kindness. God, would we live a lifestyle of generosity and love as worship to you and to bless others. In Jesus' name, amen.